Tennessee Director of Citizens for Renewing America, Andrea Gomez, tells us how her experience in sales as a bartender and as a former Williamson County teacher fired for refusing to comply with mask mandates prepared her for the good work she's doing to organize, educate, and encourage grassroots activists on the ground. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Yeah. Here we go. Didn't I tell you? If you couldn't get this one, <laughs> there's no help for you. But, oh, the name of the band. Well, how about the song first? You know what? All right, so let me let me set this up, right? Because... It's good, because this is a nice long intro, so you've got time to this, talk. This is just good fodder, because I, I, need, I need everyone to know... I text because I've I've been having a hard time, and I texted Kevin this morning and said, "Hey, you know, I'd really I'd really like a softball today. I mean, can you just throw me a bone? Like, give me an easy one on the on the music today." Think thinking like I've set this up. I really don't want to mess this up. <clears throat> and I, I see that our guest though knows it. Well, I think I know the song. Okay, what's the name of the song? Is it Cat Scratch Fever? No, 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 no. Oh, but. Thank you for trying. I'll go home now. <laughs> I, I actually don't know the name of the song. The, the name of the song is Smoke on the Water. Oh, okay. Smoke on the Water. Yeah. Oh, it actually was my high school, um, it was our theme song. It was our main marching song that we always played when I was in marching band. And who's the band? Who's the artist? Uh, hang on. He's, he's looking, I'm, I'm looking he's it up. Cheating. <laughs> it's Deep Purple. Oh. Deep Purple. <laughs> Oh, Gary! I so, tried. I, I really look, tried. I thought this is so old and simple. And and I knew, I knew, I knew. Whenever I sent you that text this morning, I'm like, I'm, I've set myself up. <laughs> I've absolutely set myself up here because I'm. So I'm confessing. I'm confessing to everyone. This was supposed to be easy. It was definitely supposed yeah. to be easy. I'm failing. I'm failing pretty hardcore these this last month. Well, do you know why I've chosen this song for today? Smoke on the water. The, the facade that we see everywhere around us. I don't know what... No, this could, is something that's really more specific to an event that happened in Franklin this week, which will be next week, will be last week by next week. <laughs> Smoke on the water. What the heck happened in Franklin? Uh, do you know what happened at Nissan Way earlier this week? I don't. Little electric vehicle fire? What? Yeah. Really? So I have not heard about this. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to read just a little bit from the Franklin. Um, Hopefully nobody got hurt. It's the city of nobody got hurt. But here, here it is. Uh, no September, September 5th, which would have been Tuesday after Labor Day. Firefighters dispatched to one Nissan way at 442 p.m. According to Franklin Fire Marshal Andy King, the vehicle, a Nissan Leaf, courtesy of Lamar Alexander. <laughs> had been charging on a level three charger, the fastest charging device when its lithium ion battery cell overheated, went into a thermal runaway condition and caught fire. He said firefighters applied water to cool the battery cell for several hours. No damage occurred to the charger or other vehicles. Okay, so this is where it gets interesting. 
First of all, it required an engine, a tower, a battalion chief, rescue hazmat, and an air response vehicle wow. to put this out. But the most, <laughs> the most disturbing aspect, and I'm going to present this in the form of a question. So, Gary, quiz question. If this were a normal um, internal combustion engine car that caught fire, do you know how much water it would take to put out that fire? Ooh. Um, like Rough, in, like roughly. in gallons. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, hundred gallons. Five hundred to a thousand. Okay. According to the fire department. Okay. Do you know how much water it took to put out this electric vehicle? I mean, they were working for hours. I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna guess twenty thousand. Andrea, guesses. I'll go higher. Fifty thousand. Twenty thousand oh, okay. one. Twenty thousand one. You went over. That's the old. Uh, Price is Right, Price right? Is you right. went over, yeah. eh, eh, eh. <laughs> But 45,000 gallons wow. of water. 45 to 90 times the amount of water that it took. So for yeah, so all far, of, 40 to 1, basically. So for all of those, remember that um, we did that episode and we talked about the damage to the environment to create one lithium-ion battery yeah. for a car. 100 tons of <clears> earth <throat> moves yeah. or something like that. In addition to all that, yet here's another reason. What could be possibly worse for the environment than wasting 45,000? That's three of your average size swimming pools, by the way. If you think all across Williamson County, the the kind of pools, the average pool in Williamson County holds 15,000 gallons. Three of Kevin's swimming pools. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Our pool actually does hold (laughs) 15,000 gallons. Just an average size pool. So there you go. So smoke on the water, smoke coming out from the water, and air support. Air response vehicle? I assume that maybe is a is a helicopter or something. That is incredible. For one electric vehicle. And, you know, thank you to Bill Lee. Like we we've talked about this a lot on this show. What I sense to be the danger to our economy, to our future, that we are banking so heavily on the electric vehicle industry in terms of I mean, we've got battery manufacturers we've got part manufacturers we've got now a lithium refiner north of chattanooga the largest in the nation by the way and electric vehicle manufacturing i mean out you know cadillac's got a spot you know here in spring hill now we've got ford out in west tennessee so we are we are banking on the future the success of the electric vehicle industry yet these are the kinds of things we we continue to see over and over again across the country in the news and not just cars catching on fire, but the fact that these companies are still having to be bailed out and subsidized by the federal government because, number one, a lot of people don't want electric vehicles, but they're too expensive for most mm-hmm. people. So what a crazy story. Wow. I mean, 40 to 1, the effort in in general, in water at least, to put out an electric vehicle fire. That's interesting data. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, you're welcome. Right and, here. And right, right here. Right here in Tennessee. Down the street. Yep. Yeah, literally, where I not far from where I get my mail. Well, tell us about our guest today, Kevin. So our guest, properly pronounced Andrea Gomez, is, uh, you know, and I always forget your title before I go into the organization, but are you grassroots director in Tennessee? Tennessee director, yeah. Okay. Tennessee director for the grassroots for Citizens for Renewing America, which is the 501c4 sister organization to the Center for Renewing America. And uh, also, because I, I wanted you to tell us a little bit about your story, how you got to that position, because you are a former teacher, and 
Although I, we didn't meet, the first time I ever saw you was on the square in Franklin on that rainy day in October of 20, 2020. I think it was, yeah, yeah, when you were talking about having been terminated for refusing to wear a mask, and uh, I want to talk about that, and, and then we'll get into some of the things you're doing on the ground with the grassroots, but, but welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. We, by the way, Theater of the Mind, Gary, we forgot to mention last week, we're at a really tiny table now. Which I like. I it's, like the tiny which is, table, it's, though. It is. It's much more intimate. Gary and I are facing each other instead of at an angle. Andrea is to my right. But it is. It's a cute little table. Like, I, I've got to be careful I don't spill my hot water and knock my glasses off the table. Yeah, space is a little more limited. Yeah. And just before you get started, it's really cool, Andrea, to see you in the role that you've now taken. Because, I mean, I just, I just remember starting Tennessee Stands... And you, you and Tanya reaching out, you know, the two of you had, had just been fired from Williamson County Schools because you refused to wear a mask for a host of personal reasons, like we all have. And, um, of course, they weren't having it. And so you were around all the things, all the rallies, really just fired up at what was happening in the middle of COVID in 2020. But, um, yeah, I mean, share that story and just kind of where you come. Because I think your story is it's really cool to see i don't think you ever wanted to be in a political fight right i mean you were you were a teacher doing your thing yeah i actually love my job yeah i did you were but you were you were because of bad policy you were thrust into it but now here you are it's it's i think right. it's probably changed your mindset a little bit in terms of pre pre-covid and post-covid like it's probably pre-covid andrea and now post-covid andrea I mean, we <laughs> that's that's how i, I feel yeah. like it's pre-covid gary and <laughs> yes post- uh, to be I, honest, yeah, pre-COVID friendships, yeah, post-COVID friendships, yeah. absolutely. Although I hate saying that word, by the way, mm-hmm. I just re- like to refer as twenty twenty as the year of the big lie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't is, stand. Is it only one year? Like, well, it's, it's it's when the big lie was exposed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's when so many of us kind of just became so much more aware mm-hmm. of the um, the fake veneer of liberty that we have in this country. Yep. Um, so I don't know if I ever told you this, Gary, that I was really wrestling going back, um, in the fall of 2020 after we had, you know, we had left in, I think it was March for a four day deep clean. And then we never went back Mm -hmm. until August. And I was, um, very troubled by the mandates, the, um, the masking and the social distancing and all of this. And I had a tiny little office. It was maybe smaller than this room where I would meet with students and, um, and help them learn English and, and so forth. And I thought, you know, teaching English to children from other language backgrounds, like you really are relying on phonics and phonemic awareness, and they need to be able to see your face and you need to help them, you know, pronounce letters properly and and so forth. But uh, we had just gone back and I think, I think it was one of our school counselors that had said something to me about, well, have you heard about Recall Williamson? And I was like, no, what's that? And so this was pre-Tennessee Stands. Pre-Tennessee Stands, yeah. And I, I looked it up, and I, I don't know if you had something written or if there was a video or something at that time, but I was already in a, in a place where I knew everything that was going on was wrong, and um, nobody had the authority to mask the teachers, the kids, anybody. And when I heard you, and I, it must have been a video, and, and I, I watched your video, and it's what gave me the confidence to 
trust the instincts that were already there. Mm -hmm. Just knowing someone else was echoing my same thoughts and sentiments. And and so thank you for that. Very kind. (laughs) And so that's when I, ironically, was Freedom Week, Mm -hmm. which is the, so September 17th, there's a federal mandate that their schools are supposed to teach the Constitution. Constitution Day. And um, and so in Williamson County, they just called the whole week Freedom Week. And so it was that week that I decided to walk into my schools with no mask and a big smile and some bright red lipstick from Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just kind of see what I could get away with mm-hmm. in my schools. And I got a lot of funny looks and um, a lot of sideways glances. And then a fourth grade teacher at one of my schools basically... Um, confronted me. And so that led to being suspended and then ultimately terminated. Um, And it took about four months. So I suspended in September without pay and then terminated, I think, actually, it was longer than three months, like the following March. And Tanya's um, story was was very similar. So yeah, I I basically walked into my schools and put it all out on the line. You walk the walk, you paid the price, (laughs) right? But as a result of that, then... What's happened next? What was the next part of it? The- By the way, go back a step because I'm in, I'm intrigued about at the same time you were teaching or or prior to or in the summers you were also a bartender, right? Well, at the same time, yeah. So um, I had started bartending while I was applying for full time positions, and then because you had sorry because you had moved here from California. Yes, you and, and so I, it took me a while to renew all of my certification. I did, mm-hmm. I think I took like eight different praxis tests or something. Um, and so when I got a full-time job and then I thought, well, we, we did the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, this could be my Dave Ramsey job. Yeah, the, the envelopes. Pay. Yep. Well, so what I was focused on was, uh, I paid off my student loan. I paid off our cars. Awesome. We had Snowball no debt. And, and that's part of, you know, God's hand and everything. He was, pre- I didn't know what he was preparing me for, but mm-hmm. now I know. Mm-hmm. So we had no debt. When I lost my teaching job, and then I was able to go to the bartending full time. That's kind of amazing because when I when you first told me that, I just I, I don't know maybe it's maybe it's me. I just couldn't picture a teacher also side hustle as a bartender. Well, it wasn't it wasn't like bartending in I, downtown Nashville. No, no, I, know. I was I at just, a restaurant, like look, a I bar can, in a restaurant. I can identify. <laughs> I was a I was a pastor that owned yes. a microbrewery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I get it. I know it's it's just. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I just, yeah. I don't think I've ever envisioned a teacher as a bartender. Yeah. Um, That's a cool teacher, though. It's, it my, definitely is a cool I teacher. I can teach you to read and make a really good old-fashioned. <laughs> nice. Love it. So, I mean, the part, so the part of this story, as we get into, like, your role and what you do, and, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about some issue-driven things here, but I think the coolest part of that story is for everyone to understand, because this, we talk about this a lot in Tennessee Stands. I, we talk about this is this is grassroots. It's people, right? I mean, we're not talking about well-trained, Harvard-educated, lawyer degrees. and all. We're not talking about political operatives here. We're talking about everyday Americans, Tennesseans, folks working and raising families that are engaging in the practice of self-governance, governance. I'm finally going to get that word right. And engaging with our legislature and doing all the things that we do. This, this, that is the role of the everyday American. And I think it's, it's just a cool story to see someone that has, 
you didn't have a political background. You're not an attorney. You're not, you know, all the things that would be expected of, of the folks that are supposed to be doing this kind of work, right? And all that said, in my book, you're doing a phenomenal job. You're Thank you. all over the state of Tennessee speaking to all these groups about election integrity. And I think representing Russ Vote and the Citizens for Renewing America very well. So, so let's, so tell us about now your role and sort of your focus right now on what you're trying to accomplish in the state. So, uh, uh, trying to accomplish everything. (laughs) Um, That's the problem we're all in right now. Yeah. Drinking from a fire hose. Right. And, and I'm, and then I'm the, on the other end of the fire hose when I go and talk to groups sometimes too. I feel like I, do my share of fire hosing of information. But um, the goal here in the state is to support the grassroots on America First initiatives and, um, you know, create a network, build relationships, um, really identify listening to the grassroots and identifying what they are most passionate about, what they care about, what the, what the fights are for them here in the state of Tennessee. And then also being that conduit of information from the D.C. level to help them understand what is the fight and what is the strategy up in D.C. And to be able to also help people make those connections. There's a a lot of thinking that the state politics or the county politics are in a silo and that, you know, you can kind of put your blinders on and just focus on your county and you don't have to worry about what's going on in D.C. I don't think that's the case. I think that what's going on in D.C. is... um, is infiltrating every level of government and and really poisoning all the way down to the county level. So, you know, educating people on issues, um, connecting people across the state. You know, we're doing that with election integrity, with the state coalition for that. Um, Would you, would you say issue wise like that? Do you feel like that's kind of your number one passion point right now? Kind of your number one mandate is because just from, I mean, I know you've done some things with education. I know that, um, Center for Renewing America is is pretty passionate about the illegal immigration border wall con- conversation. But whenever I see you out and about, I mean, you're, you've really become kind of an, an election integrity authority in my book, anyway. And the folks that you're working with is that is that how you see it or? Not really. Not really? Okay. I think Kathy Harms is the election integrity oh, well, authority. <laughs> no, sure, but I, but you got but you I'm guys her are sidekick. Okay, <laughs> her wingman. Yes, All right. I like yes, that. exactly. Um, I see. We love Kathy. Yeah, yep. she's fantastic. I rely on her so much because um, I can't uh, I can't process all of the details of election integrity the way she can. I'm very much on the surface level. I understand the big picture. And what the challenges are, and what the vulnerabilities are, but but I think you were really you were very integral though in helping to put together what's now sort of yeah. a statewide coalition regarding election uh, yes. Integrity. So it was it was my duty to really just kind of pitch the tent and find the people that were already working on election integrity and kind of bring them into this um, coalition and let's start this way of communicating across the state. Um, so it wasn't really me going in and saying I'm the expert and y'all need to come and listen to me. It was more like. Kathy's the expert, and I'm going to get her on a Zoom call every week, and I want you all to get on this call, too. Um, so that's been going well, and it's growing. So you've Election- been able to facilitate, Yes, right? I'm, I, ca- I consider myself more of a coordinator mm-hmm. of that, and then I, when I go talk to groups, I let them know that this is what we're doing for Election Integrity, and we'd like you to um, get on board and join us. So, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow of thought um, on that. <clears throat> Before we started— you said it was interesting how God had used your past. Who would have thought that a background as a teacher and a bartender would prepare you for being a grassroots director? 
Can you connect those dots for us and <laughs> kind of explain why those particular experiences you had prepared you for what you do now? Well, yeah, when you when you're a bartender, you have to be able to have conversations and remain unemotional, right? Mm -hmm. um, and as a bartender, I didn't shy away from sensitive conversations. If someone wanted to talk religion and politics, I was happy to do it. Right. But, you know, if I was able to remove my emotions out of it and it was okay if you walked away and we didn't agree, mm -hmm. that's fine. So, um, but just being able to talk to people and being able to talk to anybody about anything um, is a bartender skill. Right. And then a lot of what I do, I see is uh, educating. Mm -hmm. um, and I also have, I guess, what, what most teachers have is an ability to identify what is missing or like if there's a... If there's a gap of understanding, you know, like when you have a new student, you you assess where they're at and where they need to go and mm -hmm. what's missing. And so I can kind of see that when I'm talking to the grassroots and identify if there's a piece of information that they're not getting. Mm -hmm. And then grassroots development and networking. I mean, I have a background in um, direct sales as well. So that's grassroots it's development the right there. Then, yeah. Right? <clears throat> Who would have thought? <laughs> so here's the one thing you left off that I think makes you effective too, and that is you have credibility because of the fact that you paid a price for freedom, yeah. right? And that that carries, I, I think that warrants a lot of respect whether you uh, hear it directly or not. Anyone who knows that story is going to listen to you more. You're going to have an authority on these subject matters because you're not someone who just went to college to become, you know, a political activist. It was the farthest thing, as Gary said, wasn't even on your to-do list, right? Um, and I, I think that's, it's, it's, kind of, it's how our founders were, right? They didn't desire to be political leaders. They were, that was forced upon them because the British were taking away their traditional and unalienable rights um, as free Englishmen, right? And it's the same thing. So many people in 2020 weren't thinking to be politically active, but they it was forced upon them, right, by the tyrants among us. So I think that that lends such credibility to what you do, uh, which is why I'm thankful for you being able to do what you do and to be able to travel across the state. So what what else, other than election integrity, are you working on, and what are the grassroots responding to well? What are they helpful? You know, where, where is their heart? I, to me, and Gary and I have talked about this a lot, election integrity is so important because everything else hinges on it, right? You can you can argue about policy and what policy we want to implement, but if the elections are not free and if the elections are not credible and believable, it doesn't matter what policies we want to enforce. We have to think of it in an entirely different way, don't we? Just just exactly. on that note really quick, you know, coming into <clears throat> coming into 2023 at the end of last year, we did a legislative survey which is mm -hmm. pretty robust. We had and we had just over 3,300 responses uh, from voters across the state of uh, Tennessee. And uh, out of 13 issues we listed, I believe, um, the the number one ranking issue was election integrity. Election integrity and, and medical freedom were like, I mean, neck and neck within a half a percentage point. But election integrity won out. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a critical issue that I think most – uh, you know, at least folks that follow Tennessee stands, you know, the the grassroots conservative, the the far right wing of the Republican <laughs> Party, as they say, um, I think are very concerned about election integrity. I would agree. And when I talk to groups across the state, election integrity is still the number one issue. I think there's still a lot of people that don't really know exactly what they can do about it. 
education is right up there um, with election integrity. I think the medical freedom maybe slipped a little bit more recently um, because we're not yet under and, any they, mandates. Until they mandate the next shot. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So education is a big concern as well. Government overreach is a big concern. You know, Agenda 2030, all of that kind of new Green Deal and sustainable development and all that kind of stuff is a big concern. Um, people concerned about 15-minute cities, yep. about being tracked. Mm. A lot of Chattanooga <clears throat> folks are by the, into that. Fight. By the way, I, I would assume that most people in our audience know what a 15-minute city is. But why don't you give a one-minute primer okay. for anybody who's not? Because every once in a while, I'll talk to somebody who says, I had no idea. And I would have assumed that because they're part of our audience that they would already – we shouldn't assume that. And, and, a, be, and because it's happening yes. in, in Tennessee right now. <clears throat> yeah, I think Chattanooga is one of three cities in the U.S. In the that US. was like the first rollout of 15-minute um, cities. Well, essentially, it's to um, monitor, track, and control where you can go and when. So you can essentially be geofenced into a mm-hmm. small – community where, you know, maybe you're only allowed to, you know, go through this intersection once, or if you, if you are continuing to drive beyond what you are allowed to, you're going to get fined for it. So it's essentially everything. And it sounds great because and they always sell things on convenience, right? Absolutely. Yes. You can walk to the grocery store. You don't need a car. You can go the, to the movie carts. Your friends are all close. Yes. The cool the selling, golf. The selling point is that it's supposed to, in a, in a very conven- convenient way, limit everything that you need, mm-hmm. you know, in your, to sustain your lifestyle within 15 minutes, whether that be education, the grocery store, Shopping, whatever. I mean, that's that's the that's the nicety of it. But as you say, the that's all in an effort to limit mobility mm-hmm. and to surveil and to control. And that's I think that's where people are. People who haven't become conspiracy theorists yet aren't aren't willing to acknowledge the reality of what's happening. Right. But let me add to this, by the way. And I've, I've long felt this, but you know there was a precursor to these 15-minute 15, 15 cities in our own communities. And you know what they are. It's communities like <clears throat> Berry Farms, oh, West Haven. Tollgate. Yeah. These, these, yeah, Tollgate. These were the steps to the 15-minute mm-hmm. cities where people become accustomed to that comfort in that community. Now we nudge them. Mm-hmm. You always hear the left talk mm-hmm. about that, nudging. Nudge them a little bit further. Do you know what the other two cities are, by the way, in addition to Chattanooga? I don't off the top of my head. San Jose is one of them, and um, oh, I can't remember the other one. Did you read about how it was exposed in the last couple of weeks, all the billionaires who bought up the property around, what's the Air Force Base in Central California? Can't remember. I'll come back to it. They've bought up all of these acres for this very reason because they want to create a 15-minute city. And they're pitching it for the same, under the same auspices. This is going to be convenient and good. Of course, they always throw in, and good for the environment, because you won't be driving your car. It's yeah, it's real. It's sustainable development goals. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sustainable for everything except people. Yep. I've got, I've got two things I want to make sure I mention. Well, one, I wanted to go back to election integrity for just a minute. Tell me really quick, what are, what are like the, the, the big two, the big three, the big four concerns for you in terms of election integrity? Think what you're trying in, in terms of your message and what you're trying to accomplish across the state. I'm, I'm pretty sure we're unified on that, but I just want to hear it from you. Okay. Well, 
as far as vulnerabilities in yeah. election integrity. So um, I think we are all very skeptical of the ballot marking devices and how removed that has made us from our actual vote and being able to authenticate our own personal vote. The influence of the left in elections is very scary because they are definitely um, influencing the next generation, right? They're changing the electorate. So the money that is spent um, influencing the election commissions, but also on the college campuses. Which they phrase it as get out the vote. But that's but that's not really all they're doing. And they're I mean, it's not even just at the college level. They're they're pushing into the high school level, you know, trying to register the 17 year olds that may or may not be 18 by the next election. Um, but what what's being done in Tennessee is then their data is captured. There's a little bit of a loophole in um, capturing the data as long as they inform the person that they're registering that they're going to use their data in a certain way, then they can use that data and the political messaging that is pushed out to to activate those young people, whether it's to come and protest, um, you know, at the Capitol. At the Capitol, yeah. That's where <laughs> um, all, didn't they, we, didn't they find that out that yeah. the, the it was folks. Like turbo vote or something like that. Folks that were being bused from Memphis yes, to do these rallies. The it, it was connected to nonprofits and their mm-hmm. data that were quote unquote getting out the vote. Right. Those were the people they were busing to rally at the Capitol for yeah, gun so, control. So those two issues are huge. Um, the rollout of convenience vote centers across the state is very concerning. We have them here. Right. So there's no accountability at the precinct level when you're pushing everyone into these vote centers. And of course, here we go back to the word convenience, right? Mm -hmm. You can go to any vote center in the county. It's so convenient. (laughs) This is good for you. I know, right? And then it necessitates the e-poll book, which is a very um, unsecure way of um, holding people's personal voting data. Um, and the ability to provide any ballot from across the entire county at every single vote center just because you don't know who's going to show up. So, Which means um, essentially that all of those ballots have to be electronic to yes. be able to provide that. So you got to have the machines. Right, exactly. So, again, it takes that accountability out of the precinct, out of that, like, that local level, and it, it just moves everything further and further away from the voter. So what I wanted to say about that is, you know, as well as I do, the challenges we've had legislatively getting folks at the Capitol interested in having that conversation and doing something about it. The The problem is what we find is seems that the machines are just fine. Uh, no, we love the convenience centers and and we're having a very oh, and the challenge has been. That the Heritage Foundation ranked us number, number one, one. Yeah, oh, election man. integrity. So, <laughs> but but what I wanted to ask you: Did you find it incredibly interesting? Because I was I was shocked, honestly, that the Republican, uh, the National Republican Party with the RNC, passed a resolution yep. unanimously. I believe I, I think pushing members of the party in in state legislatures. To, to one, do away with the voting centers, to go back to precinct voting, mm-hmm. two, minimize use of machines, ensure that we use paper ballots. And was, what was interesting about the statement is they didn't just say paper ballots in an audit trail. They literally said hand-marked paper ballots <clears throat> and hand-counted paper ballots. Right. What 
I was so. Were you shocked? Because I was, I was blown away that the National Republican Party was actually now putting that out, which is good. It was strong. It was, oh, I mean, awesome. Uh, if I can pause just have for a, a moment. celebration. Yeah, the best part about that it is it shows that the efforts that you and Kathy and so many in this group across the country are having impact because the fact that they're now using that language, they understand what the issues are. I know we've got a long way to go, but they're talking about it now. It's a yeah, big deal, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. It's a big deal. Um, it was shocking. It was surprising. It'll be interesting to see the county parties pick that up and maybe strengthen that and go even further with it. Um, do, I don't. Do you see that helping us move the needle at all in in, in the legislature? It absolutely. It should. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had the conversations with the members that are completely on board with the machines um, and think that the their constituents love the convenience vote centers. Mm-hmm. I've had those conversations. It's gonna it's gonna be a lift yep. to get them on board with it. But I mean, it's a step in the right direction. Now, if you can show them that um, their seat is at risk because of what's happening on the college campuses and the money coming in from these leftist NGOs and influencing, you know, these younger voters and how that could potentially cause them to lose their seat or, you know, that their seat could be taken by a Democrat. Um, I think that's where you have more sway. And then the other thing I wanted to make sure I got in, because I'm sure you're in the same circles and you've got to be seeing the same challenges that I'm seeing as as you're making relationships and you're you're networking in the in the grassroots do you see a challenge in Tennessee where what you know what does it mean to be grassroots what does it mean I, there's a lot of people that want to call themselves conservatives and uh there's some folks that I love that have shows on 997 that just you know bag on me day in and day out because because I, I I dare to have the audacity to try to differentiate real conservatives, as I call them, from fake conservatives. Like who who am I to determine what conservatism is? You know, um, yes, yeah, I got so many words, but I'll. Uh, so I, I just I wanted to throw that your way and get you know is is it is it just me that I see that it's it's incredibly challenging to figure out where the appropriate relationships are to really move the needle on the grassroots. I mean, I I just see a lot of folks trying to position themselves for their own interests. And sometimes it's really hard to determine who really is fighting for conservative principles and who's just fighting for their own interest and trying to secretly infiltrate what we're attempting to do. Is it, is it just me, or no, is or is not. that or is that a thing? No, it's a thing. Yeah, you mean conservative ink? <laughs> you mean there there's people that are basically positioning themselves to kind of grift on the conservative movement and take advantage of real conservative grassroots? Yeah. Absolutely. That's actually a a beautiful word because <clears throat> you remember when Gary was campaigning, he was accused. Of being a grifter. Oh, I'm the grifter. Right? Gary, Gary. When the reality Gary grifter. is, grifter all, they Gary. Were, all they were doing, what people always do, right? They project yep. their own condition onto Gary. The reality is, is that they truly were the grifters on the conservative movement, weren't they? Absolutely. And yeah, we see, um, I call them pop-up conservative ink mm-hmm. in a box. <laughs> yep. Just more ordered that from a mail order catalog and just, it, it's just conservative ink in a box and you just 
open the box and yeah. set up the props and call yourself conservative grassroots. Yeah. Website, donate button. You you had a couple of meetings. Well, you and have to have the donate button. Next thing you know, you're number one. <clears throat> this is why discernment is so important. And you can tell by people's language. You you can discern the difference between someone who is who really shares our values with someone who is trying to be uh, one of us superficially because they use buzzwords and language. A person usually gets about a half a sentence in. I'm like, oh, that person is not with us because I would never use certain words to describe situations the way that they would. And that's, to me, that is always the quickest way to discern where this person is coming from. Agree? You forgot to mention the fake legislation. <laughs> <clears throat> that, yeah. No. Fake legislation? Well, Did I miss not, something? No, just like legislation, and we see the left do this, right? Yeah. Where they, they have legislation and they put a fancy name on it. Like it's oh. going to solve all the world's problems, <clears throat> yeah, and then they sell some... it on the title. And then yeah. when you look at the actual bill, it yeah. does nothing. It has nothing to do with the title. does and, nothing. <clears throat> yeah, acronyms. There, there's, there's a person sitting in every, every legislative director or someone uh, that works for a legislator, both <clears throat> federal, state, must sit there coming up with creative phrases. And I swear it's the same person that puts signs on the um, on I-65 and I-40, you know, the electronic signs. Talk about a waste of taxpayer money. Yeah. You, you know, they, they tell you not to text, and they tell you how many people have died on the highway, and they encourage you to look at this sign and Instead then tell the you, road. don't look at this, like, don't look at the sign and be safe on the road. Um, anything else? And, and if you had to tell one story that would that would really grab the attention of our audience that they might not know is going on on the ground, good or bad, right? Like oh. an encouraging story or a, whoa, you need to know that this is going on. What would you tell them? Oh, thanks for putting me on the spot. Uh, hmm. Encouraging or not? Yeah, let's go encouraging. Uh, we could use some encouragement. That. That's, that's a hard one, isn't it? Uh, well, I guess what is encouraging is... Um, the amount of people across the state that are getting engaged and that are paying attention and that are open to learning. And I think that I, I, I love the organization that I'm a part of because of that education part of it. Mm -hmm. And Russ is, um, he's so strategic. And Very much so. Yes. And What's encouraging, I think, to me is knowing that, you know, there's a there's a fire, there's a fight around every corner right now. But Russ really knows how to identify the fights, uh, the fight of the moment. Like, where do we need to really be focusing right now? Mm -hmm. And so I just appreciate his leadership and his insight and his wisdom in that. And um, I know you are very well aware of the fight that we're about yeah. to heat up. Yeah, I... <clears throat> I, I think kudos definitely need to go to Russ vote. So I need to give my stupid disclaimer, right? I'm on, I'm on the board. It's, okay. it's the, the disclaimer part is stupid. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Gary. <clears throat> I never would have done it except for a friend that I have who said, Kevin, if you're going to talk about CRA, you need to disclose it. Uh, in any event, yes, I'm on the board, but that has nothing to do with my admiration for Russ. <clears throat> I was honored to be asked to be on the board. But you are right. <clears throat> Russ is extremely strategic. And what I've always appreciated about Russ is that even though he's worked his entire professional life in national uh, political movements, he was one of the first national people to understand the importance of the states. <clears throat> and Russ was so responsive. We go back a couple years ago um, with CRT, right? 
CRA was on the f- leading edge of pushing back on CRT. Russ has always understood that if we don't get it right in the states, it doesn't matter what's going on in the federal government anyway, and we have to protect the states. So he's been very responsive. He's been he's been leading. <clears throat> CRA has put out papers to assist with the intellectual firepower that the states need and grass le- grassroots leaders like yourself. So yeah, hundred percent agree. Just which- just recently, there was a really great. I don't know if you call it a white paper or an article or, you know, a pretty good write-up on the Second Amendment Mm -hmm. and why red flag laws were a really, Mm -hmm. really bad idea that I think was a really good piece to circulate as we were dealing with the special session that we just finished. So, yeah, it's I I agree. Uh, I appreciate CRA working to, um, which, again, Citizens for Renewing America, working to, to pick the fight of the hour and help engage folks around the fight that needs to happen in the moment, which unfortunately is constantly changing because the left is always working on the next. But that's the other thing. The next way to steal your liberty. That's the other thing that makes CRA again at the cutting edge because they are so much more nimble than the larger organizations have been. And that's not just because they're small. It's because of the the initiative that this organization takes and those who are leading it and those who are on the staff all understand the importance of being nimble and not just having this, you know, behemoth kind of walking around with a lot of it's not that the decisions aren't made in a in a in a group effort, but at the end of the day, everybody understands this, this decision needs to be made, it needs to be made fast. We need to prioritize it and then boom, they do it, don't they? Right. And the prioritizing and the messaging <clears throat> is so key. Um you know the fight that we're about to start next week with the appropriations when the House goes back um, into session. Yep. And so really helping people understand that the it, it, now is the time to put the pressure on your members of Congress and let them know, here's what we need you to do. We need you to fight for us. Mm-hmm. We need you to stay strong and hold the line. And we're going to have your back when you do it. I think like it was mentioned earlier I don't know if you said this or if this was another conversation, but there's that fundraising treadmill that they get on, Mm -hmm. right? Once they get elected and then all of a sudden they have to stay elected. And um, it's real easy to get swept up by leadership, whether it's state or federal level, and kind of get into that that hamster wheel of you've got to please leadership so you can get the PAC funding or whatever to keep you in office. And it's up to us as the grassroots to counter that and really make sure that our 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 members that are going to go up there and vote the way we want them to vote that we get them reelected. They don't need these packs. <clears throat> when you're talking about the appropriations fight, I I do want to encourage and to thank um our congressman Mark Green because <clears throat> and it also shows the impact that CRA has had on the Freedom Caucus mm-hmm. and and the 20 who fought back on and, and, and allowed us to get that speaker fight handled back in January because <clears throat> I sent a note to Mark Green uh, a couple of weeks ago when there became this uh, concern again that mask mandates were going to come back under executive authority, right? Biden was going to implement it through TSA, still may, but that was the question. And I sent that to Mark Green. <clears throat> he immediately came back and said, we're going to address this in the appropriations fight. He said, that's how we're going. So that that t- that told me that he's already been educated on the importance of the appropriations fight. Years ago, they didn't used to do that, right? I would never get a response. So all that to say, thank you for what you're doing. And that's definitely an encouragement to me because it shows that, again, 
the vocabulary, the process, all of those things are getting through. And I think it's a great job that you're doing. I think it's a fantastic job that the whole organization for CRA is doing because now we have um, the tools. Uh, we don't just rely, although he's very important, on people like Chip Roy, but now we have some other people who are taking encouragement from his process and his leading and his fight. And they know that each one of these appropriations, instead of doing a giant bill, right, you break them up into separate appropriations fight and you make each one a battle to get what you want and to protect liberty. And we have leverage. Leverage, for sure. <clears throat> we have leverage of a shutdown. Which, which we, and leverage that's established by our small majority, that's which right. we've talked about on this program too, right? Which we in hindsight, did we think that there was going to be a silver lining to not getting a no. red tsunami or a red wave? And it turns out you actually have a little bit more leverage. It's it's what we talk about here all the time. That's the problem in Tennessee. The problem we've got with too the super big majority. of a majority. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yep, they don't have to engage your super conservative mm -hmm. Republicans. Yep. Just ignore them. Well, Gary, anything else to ask our guests before we wrap up another one? No, well, I, I was just, I thought she made a really great last point there about the need for the grassroots to engage um, in elections, especially when you think about members of the House, both at the federal level and the state level, where their term is two years, they never stop campaigning. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I I think you, you hit the nail on the head. The, the drive is, you know, there, there's always this push to campaign to get reelected. So in order to not have to campaign as much, they rely on money from these PACs mm -hmm. that they can just they, – they know is coming in. But the problem is the only way to get the money from the PACs is to appease leadership, which sometimes or maybe is – it, is it worth saying oftentimes uh, – is not appeasing the people or representing mm -hmm. the people. And so I think that's such an important conversation. Brandon, Brandon Lewis, our friend of the Tennessee Conservatives, talks about that a lot, the – in fact, he's pretty mean about it, about how uh, how how not generous conservatives are. He's like, you guys need to open your wallets and support some <laughs> conservative organizations and and conservative folks when they're running for office. But it's but it's true. I mean, we it's that old adage: you you get what you pay for, kind of a thing. And I I believe, unfortunately, we're so used to just allowing the system to work on its own, and. What that means, though, if we want to change that, it's it's not just our time. It's going to require our money. It's these – the organizations and the folks in elected office that are doing conservative work are going to need conservative support or we will keep losing. I mean, I, again, go back to the statements in the declaration. Mm -hmm. They they pledge their what? Their, their lives, their fortunes. fortunes and their sacred, sacred honor. honor. And so that's 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 everything, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a little bit of my volunteer hours here and there. So, anyway, I think that's a, that's a great point to just close on because th this is what we're trying to build here in Tennessee is a a grassroots network that actually has the kind of unified voice that can push against an establishment. And really, I don't, you know, the word establishment gets lost sometimes because what I really see, at least here in Tennessee. It's the PACs. It's the corporate-driven interests that are that are really impacting what's happening here in Tennessee. Uh, so, but but that's going to require us to get more vocal, to spend our money, to use our time wisely. Right, a republic if we can keep it. Yeah, and let me add one final coda to that to tie together the election integrity and the PAC conversation. The reason that these politicians 
do not respond to the people, even though there's far more people than there are the PACs, is because of election integrity, lack thereof. If the elections are not secure, that's why they no longer have to worry about you and me and you and the common people. In the old days, yes, they would take their money from corporate interest, but at the end of the day, they knew there wasn't enough people that were going to vote on behalf of the corporate interest in their district. Now they can dis- disregard that if they can count on the machines happen to work out for them just the way they want the numbers to work. Andrew, make sure you tell folks how they can find you and how they can connect with Citizens for Renewing America. Okay, so our website is americarenewing.com. And if you wanted to email me, it would be Andrea at citizensrenewingamerica.com. I know that's a lot that's a of long letters. long handle. <laughs> and it's Andrea, A-U. A-U-N-D-R-E-A. Yep. I'm on Twitter, Andrea Go. Facebook, Andrea Gomez. Awesome. A little bit salty. <laughs> I like, I got to say, I like following you on Twitter. It's kind of fun. <laughs> Thanks, Andrea. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. <laughs>